Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index, available at the novel level for just $5 a month, is curated by resident Velosa reader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Friday, May 10th. Hi, Kim. Hi, Alice. How are you? Um, I'm great. It's Friday. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of, like, sitting around, which I'm very psyched about. Do you have, uh, do you have any plans for this weekend? I, in fact, do have plans for this weekend, which is rare because I often sit around on the weekends as well. But uh, I live in the Twin Cities, uh, and there is going to be a literary festival here this weekend. It is the first year that they're doing the Wordplay Festival. So it's a big two-day event, Saturday and Sunday, uh, in downtown Minneapolis. Um, they're going to have a bunch of panels with authors and then some outdoor stages. And um, Stephen King is the really big headliner. Um, but there's also... Um, a bunch of really interesting authors that are coming up too. And yeah, so it's going to be two days. So I'm going to go with my sister tomorrow and then a friend of mine on Sunday to check out the speakers and walk around to the booths and all of that kind of stuff. So I will report back on that, but I think it should be really exciting. That sounds awesome. I haven't read any Stephen King novels because I'm always worried that I'm just going to be too terrified, but I have listened to the cast recording of the musical version of Carrie, which is great. That. Sounds funny. I, I have not read a lot of Stephen King either. I did read his big book that was the um, the time travel back to the Kennedy assassination one. Um, oh, the 1963 thing, the 11 to the, the numbers. Yeah, with the numbers. I was just going to try and look at the title and I didn't get to it in time. But yeah, I've read that one and it was I liked it. It was interesting, but I haven't read a lot of his scary stuff. It's not really my thing. Um, but it's actually kind of cool because they have um, – the way they did it is – there were some tickets that are more expensive that get you into some in- indoor panels happening at a theater near the festival site. Um, and then there you can do Rush for that if you didn't buy those tickets. But uh, Stephen King is actually one of the free authors. You don't ha- or he's part of the main festival where you don't have to buy those special tickets, uh, which I think is really cool that he's probably the biggest author that they're bringing. Um, but that it's going to be kind of outdoors at this big venue is going to be kind of fun. So That's so nice. Yeah. So I hope the weather cooperates because it's been kind of um, – unpleasant around here lately. Lots of snow and chilly for May. So we'll see. Yeah. So in terms of follow-up from our last episode, I have a a mistake that I made that a bunch of people pointed out to me correctly because I'm an idiot who can't do math. Um, 
I was talking about a book Beeline, uh, which is about uh, Generation Z kids and the uh, National Spelling Bee. Uh, and I said that Generation Z means kids who are late elementary school to tweens, which is not even close to correct. Uh, kids who were born in 1997, so Generation Z is 1997 and later born. Uh, kids born in 1997 are graduating from college right now, so uh, it is not <laughs> elementary school students or tweens at all. Like That can't be right. Isn't that crazy? 1997 kids are graduating from college. Yeah. Aren't, no, they're like, they're like 10. No, they're 20. I feel like that's Steve's. You were right. <laughs> all those other people are wrong. <laughs> A few people pointed it out to me and I was like, oh, my mind is stuck in 2009. That's why. Uh, so yeah, Generation Z, they're old, not they are the, the top end of Generation Z is college students, not elementary school kids, as I said it. So anyway, <laughs> my bad. Thanks for the corrections, friends. All right. So before we jump into new books, we have our first sponsor of this week. And um, that sponsor is Kawhi Craft Life by Sose Katano and Dennis Katano. Uh, Kawhi Craft Life is a first-of-its-kind needlecraft book featuring 35 super cute projects to decorate the home or give as gifts. Add an adorable Kawhi touch to your home, dorm room, or office with this charming collection of felt craft, cross-stitch, and embroidery projects. It includes materials lists and hand-stitching baits hand-stitching basics, step-by-step instructions and illustrations, printable templates, and beautiful photography. A celebration of all things Kawhi style and suitable for both beginners and seasoned crafters alike, you can create dozens of cute and cuddly crafts. So that is Kawhi Craft Life by Sose Katano and Dennis Katano, which sounds super charming. All right. So uh, with that, we will slide into new books. Uh, And I'm going to change the order of this because I feel like I've been talking for a while and toss it to you first, Alice. So we'll just see how this goes. Sure, I can do that. Um, that's I'm I'm starting out strong then. So my first pick for this week is Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. It's out May 7th. Oh, so it's out now from NYU Press. This book is awesome. So Strings basically looks at like she okay, so she looks through history and she's like, okay, so obviously we used to value different body types and this whole like obsession with like being really thin has not always been there. She starts her book talking about this newspaper article from the early 20th century where someone was basically exclaiming about the horror of like how all these people are too thin and they need <laughs> they need to eat more. And um and she she basically just like goes back through and try, tries to find the origin point and builds on this previous scholarship, um, sort of uh, adding to because it's sort of people noticed that this had happened, but they didn't know why. So she spends this whole time like, looking at why and talks about so she goes from the Renaissance to now she analyzes um, art, newspaper, magazine articles, medical journals, because the final chapter is basically like when doctors got on board and started talking about the like you know, obesity epidemic or whatever they call it now. So there was this idea that she says that came about in the Enlightenment. So again, like, let's say 16, 1700s, that fatness was evidence of, quote, savagery and racial inferiority. So this contemporary ideal of slenderness is at its very core racialized and racist. Um, And again, it wasn't until the early 20th century when these like racialized attitudes against fatness were like entrenched in the culture and then the, the medical establishment started saying like you know boo you have to like lose weight 
This book is like just awesome and I want everyone to read it. She covers so many things that, uh, about just our everyday lives that we don't even think about and haven't realized we've internalized these ideas. And um, I'm just very impressed by it. So again, that is Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. That sounds awesome and so interesting. I wouldn't have put those things together just kind of casually. So I'm super – That's oh, that sounds really good. Awesome. My first pick is called uh, Rough Magic, Riding the World's Loneliest Horse Race by Laura Pryor Palmer, which came out May 7th from Catapult. And I have to admit, I haven't done a lot of – I haven't done as much preview reading for this podcast as I normally do because uh, as soon as I started this book, it is all I could make my like it is all I wanted to read because I just love it so much. So it's it's so good. So um, the book is about it's a memoir of this young woman. She who uh, when she's 19 years old, she is kind of adrift and not really sure what she's going to do next. And so she impulsively decides that she's going to enter the Mongol Derby, which is the lo- world's longest, toughest horse race. And so it is an event where riders over like a 10 day period go a thousand kilometers over Mongolian grassland in this race that is supposed to kind of recreate or mimic the horse messenger system developed by Genghis Khan. And so they switch horses every periodically throughout the race. And then eventually they will ride like 25 different wild ponies to complete this thousand kilometer race, just like through the grasslands of Mongolia. Uh, It's just crazy. It kind of reminds me the way that she's described it a little bit like the Tour de France and that your time kind of is counted in stages and there's periods of rest um, and riders get to kind of leave at different times at the different stages. But um, it's not as clear like start and end times or whatever, but it's kind of a relayed race like that. And so people will like train for years to compete in this race. And often many of the finishers become injured or just never finish because it's so hard. But she like hadn't really prepared at all and just decided she was going to do it. Um, she had some experience with horses and her aunt was a professional equestrian. But otherwise, like she's just winging it through this whole thing, which as you read it, you're just like, boy, to have the confidence of a 19 year old to just be like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to try this. Um, but what makes it work is that she is so super honest about the whole thing. Um, Like she repeatedly talks about what a stupid idea this was and like how unprepared she is um, about how like boring parts of this race are just sort of like going across the grasslands on a horse by yourself. Um, But her writing is just like so open and descriptive and interesting and kind of poetic in this way. Um, And it sort of feels like it's just on the edge of being overwritten or like a little bit too much, but it it never, for me, has never kind of tipped over to where I'm like, oh man, this is really melodramatic. Like it's just so good and frank and fun and interesting. So um, I, I'm not quite done with it yet, but it's really like the only thing I have wanted to read for the last week or so because um, it's just great. So uh, that is Rough Magic, Riding the World's Loneliest Horse Race by Laura Pryor Palmer. There's like some good books coming out in May. I know. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Great job, Kim. Yeah. The cover is the cover is really beautiful too. It's like it's purple and like teal blue and orange and it's just like when you look at it you're just like, "Oh, that's so good. It's so good." I'm looking it up. Yes, you are correct. That is great. Okay. So again, that is rough magic riding the world's loneliest horse race. Everyone <laughs> pick that up. Okay, my next pick is just kind of fun. I just wanted, you know, I, I sometimes pick some heavy books and I was like, this looks like a hoot. Um, so this, 
This is nuking the moon and other intelligence schemes and military plots left on the drawing board by Vince Houghton is out May 7th from Penguin Books. Um, So in 1958, the... Okay, these are all ideas that people had. 1958, the U.S. Air Force wanted to nuke the moon as a show of military force, which... (laughs) Sorry. Um, Okay. In 1967, the CIA wanted to send live cats to spy on the Soviet government. And in 1942, the British wanted to build a torpedo-proof aircraft carrier out of an iceberg. Of course, these didn't happen. But Vince Houghton, who is the historian for the Spy Museum, what? which, if anyone's going to write this book, yeah, it's going to be him. So he's basically like, you can learn a lot from what people were thinking of doing. And then decided for some reason not to do. Um, so he talks about 21 plans going from World War II and the Cold War uh, to the Cold War. So how they went from conception, planning, and testing to cancellation. Uh, so the description says, for every plan as good as D-Day, there's a scheme to strap bombs to bats or dig a spy tunnel underneath the Soviet embassy. Um it's just just delightful. So if you just want like a fun thing with little like anecdotes like that, you know, every now and then you just want a book that you can kind of like just like dip into and read like a fun story and then come out again, but not fiction. So if you want a nonfiction version of that, Nuking the Moon and Other Intelligence Schemes and Military Plots Left on the Drawing Board by Vince Houghton. That sounds so fun. It reminds me a little of differently but like it reminds me a little of mary roach because a lot of her stuff is like science that seems that like is being done mainstream and does maybe have practical uses but also is kind of on the fringe and you're sort of like why is someone studying this and there's usually a reason but it sounds like these are all ones that like got a lot farther or are less uh applicable than the stuff mary roach often writes about That's awesome. Um, My next pick is more serious. So here we are. Uh, It is called The Unspeakable Mind, Stories of Trauma and Healing from the Frontlines of PTSD Science by Shali Jane. Um, And so this is a book about the science behind PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, the book in the introduction talks about how at any given moment, more than 6 million Americans are suffering from PTSD in some form or another. Um, And we have, science has known for a long time about PTSD. PTSD and like some of the symptoms that people exhibit, but it wasn't really recognized as a, a psychiatric disorder or something that could be treated that way until the 1980s. Um, and so the author is she is a professor of medicine and a practicing psychiatrist who has spent two decades uh, working and researching in the field of PTSD. Um, and so in the book, she explores the way that traumatic stress cuts cuts to the heart of existence. So it interferes with all sorts of different things, our ability to love, our ability to create, our ability to work, our ability to interact with other people in a a serious way. So um, the book looks at the connections between biology and our genes and the environment and how those all contribute to PTSD and the way that it is treated and people recover from it or don't in some cases, um, looking at impacts and cures. Um, And I... The thing that I have really liked about this one so far is that the approach of it reminds me a lot of The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Um, and that book is a it's, called, it's a biography of cancer. And so what he does is alternates his kind of personal stories and experiences as a physician treating cancer patients with a history of cancer and kind of the newest cutting edge treatments we have for cancer. And it feels to me like this book is doing kind of the same thing for PTSD um, in that she has shared a lot of stories about her patients and some of the kind of personal connection she has to 
the study of PTSD and the way that it affects people, um, and but also giving kind of a history of um, kind of during like World War One and World War Two, some of the um, disorders that uh, soldiers were coming back with and how we didn't really have good names for that and how how long it took for PTSD and trauma, um, traumatic stress to become part of the psychiatric conversation. So um, I think that approach is really interesting. It kind of gives it some um, kind of personal touches and makes it feel more impactful than just kind of a straight scientific look at it. So um, it's very interesting so far, I think, and I think it's going to be really good. So that is The Unspeakable Mind, Stories of Trauma and Healing from the Frontlines of PTSD Science by Shanali Jane. Dang. I mean, good job covering a serious topic such as that. Um, I feel actually feel like I don't have a good handle on the total mm-hmm. definition of PTSD, and I think it, it gets misused a lot as uh, a, a phrase, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. Um, my final pick, although I have some some brief shout outs at the end because we have a lot of books coming out in May. It's awesome. My pick is The Theft of a Decade, How the Baby Boomers Stole the Millennials' Economic Future by Joseph C. Sternberg. Uh, comes out May 14th from Perseus Books. Um, you might say shots fired, right? Like with this title, which when I say it, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm like making a statement. But um, so the author is a, uh, a Wall Street Journal uh, writer, and he's looking at it mainly from an economic standpoint, right? Like what happened? The baby boomers uh, w- just had the largest generation in uh, maybe ever. I think it might be ever. Definitely larger than the one before them. We are larger than the one before the baby boomers, but he says that is because um, there were just so many baby boomers. <laughs> like they are not having as many children, but um, there's such a large pool in the first place. So it's basically he makes this case that at least in in like near the beginning, uh, the author is saying that, you know, millennials uh, or Generation Y are seen as very like spoiled and what, having this easy life and whatever. And that baby boomers are just seen as really selfish and um, almost like sociopathic, uh, as described in one news article. And he says that it's uh, I think he's trying to be a little bit like both people are kind of right. So, But the way that he distinguishes that is that he says that we do have it easier on like a day-to-day basis than mo- like most other, if not any other generation before us, you know, our, our day-to-day lives are easier. But in terms of our um, economic futures and our ability to save for retirement, that's basically completely screwed over, right? Um, which is largely the fault of the baby boomers. <laughs> so that's kind of what in this book he's he's explaining this and talking about um, the crash of 2008 and how the boomer generation's reaction um, made, they ba- basically made all these decisions that favored the interests of the baby boomer generation over um, Generation Y and then Z. Um, so he gets into some things that sound, you know, a little bit like, uh, like monetary policy and fiscal policy and regulation, but it's very readable and um, will actually give you um, – uh, facts to back up, you know, when people are like, because he starts off with the story of avocado toast, right? And <laughs> it'll like let you actually refute, uh, well, baby boomers, if they're saying that you should have just spent less on coffee. Um, so again, that book is The Theft of a Decade, How the Baby Boomers Stole the Millennials' Economic Future by Joseph C. Sternberg. 
That sounds super relevant given some of what's been going on on social media in the last few weeks of big corporations making suggestions about how people can save money by, like you said, buying less coffee and not getting your hair cut as often when really like- I felt so bad for Chase's social media manager. Because like, what if they thought they were just making like a fun joke and then it was like, oh, that was the wrong thing to do. That was real bad. Yeah. No good friends. Uh, So yeah, that sounds super interesting. Good choice. Um, So my final pick uh, for new books, and I'm going to throw in a couple of shout outs too, because again, there's a ton of books coming out in May. Um, But the one I'm going to talk about in a little depth is Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. Uh, And this is about a true crime book that Harper Lee began to write, but never published, and that there are not really any drafts to really be found. Um, She was kind of following in the footsteps of her friend Truman Capote's in Cold Blood, but then just like never finished the book. So uh, the the murder at the center of this uh, story is of a guy named the Reverend Willie Maxwell, who was a rural preacher in Alabama. Um, and he himself was accused of murdering five of his family members for their insurance money in the 1970s. Um, but he was never convicted because he had this lawyer who was very good. Uh, and so he escaped justice for a really long time until at the funeral of the fifth person he was accused of murdering, someone shot him. And uh, so then he was killed. Uh, So a murderer was murdered. Um, And then the lawyer who defended him originally and got him off a bunch of times uh, defended the guy who is accused of murdering him. And so despite the the fact that many people saw this man shoot Reverend Willie Maxwell, uh, he was also acquitted by this lawyer. Uh, So it sounds like a completely bananas case that um, when I saw the thing that happened in the 1970s, it just felt like I don't know. To me, it sounded the whole thing sounded like it should have happened in like 1925. But no, this is the 1970s in Alabama. Um, anyway, Harper Lee spent a year in town around the, uh, this trial, uh, reporting on it and uh, reporting on the case, and then wrote, uh, supposedly drafted an entire book about it. But the book was either never finished or it is stashed somewhere that no one can find the draft. And so it's kind of this missing mystery true crime book that Harper Lee wrote. Um, so the book is in three parts. There's one part that's all about the Reverend Willie Maxwell. There's one part that's all about the lawyer who got him acquitted and then got his murderer acquitted. Uh, and then there's a story, a chapter, or a section on Harper Lee and um, kind of what she did and how she res- was working on this book. So one of the, um, I don't remember if this was a reviewer, it was on the book jacket, but I called it a moving portrait of one of the country's most beloved writers and her struggle with fame, success, and the mystery of artistic creativity. Um, so it just sounds like this one pulls together a bunch of stuff that I am very interested in, which is like literary history. I love true crime. I love historical true crime. I love like crazy murder stuff like this, which is weird, but that's fine. And it's just, it's it's very good so far. I like it. So this is one I definitely want to try and finish. Uh, so this is Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. Um, that sounds really fantastic. And uh, that's definitely going on my TBR. What, uh, what are your shout outs for other books published in May? Yes. So these are uh, both May 7th books. Um, The first one is called No Visible Bruises by Rachel Louise Snyder. Uh, And this is an investigation into the scope of domestic violence in the United States and how domestic violence connects with a bunch of other issues. I have only read 
reviews of it that were glowing and positive, um, that it was really interesting, really vital and really important. So that is one that I think is worth mentioning. And then the other one is more, more fun, I guess. And it's called The Castle on Sunset by Sean Levy. And it is a definitive history of the Chateau Mormont, which is Hollywood's most iconic, storied and scandalous hotel. And so it's all about the crazy Hollywood, uh, things that happened at this particular hotel, which sounds just like fun and soapy. So those are my two extra picks. Oh, I have a copy of the the castle thing. What is what is the title? The Castle and Sunset by Sean Levy. Okay, fantastic. Um it will be in the show notes though if anyone is interested in any of these titles. Um no that I'm really excited about reading that one. Um but okay so my last two shout outs for new books is The Endeavor, The Ship That Changed the World by Peter Moore, which is about the ship that Captain Cook sailed on. And, you know, he talks about the whole unfortunate consequences of that and RE colonization, etc. But he's very focused on just how much he loves ships. So um, if you are also interested in those and... I'm not really, but the way that he writes about it is so charming. And he just talks about how amazing it is that you basically have this, you know, floating almost, not quite city, but you know, kind of like colony thing, like floating around the oceans. Chapter one is called Acorns because he's talking about the very beginning of the ship. And I read that to my girlfriend last night and she didn't find it as charming as I did, but I thought it was really (laughs) cute. Okay. Anyway, the other one, uh, the other book is The Shadow King. The Life and Death of Henry VI by Lauren Johnson. It's like 600 pages. I picked it up and was like, who's going to read this? And then I took it and started reading it. And it's really good. So Henry VI is just generally known as being like the kind of wimpy lame king in England uh, around the sort of Tudor, well, pre-Tudor period. Um, But it's, again, it's just really interesting and well-written. So you should check out both The Endeavor and the Shadow King, uh, which leads us to our next sponsor, which is Book Riot's TBR. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Excellent. All right. So for this week, this week's weekly theme, ooh, say that 10 times fast, um, we decided this is more of a, a personal uh, timely theme than it is tied to any particular event. Uh, and it is nonfiction about France. And we decided to talk about this because, Alice, you are going to France very soon. I'm going to France. <laughs> <laughs> What would you like to share about your trip? Um, I haven't read enough books about it to go. I'm feeling very stressed. Uh, we are going, my girlfriend and I are going for eight days to uh, to France. And we have like some day trips planned. And uh, we're going to be like around Paris and all that stuff. So I am very excited. I'm reading a bunch of books about it. And so when Kim was like, what should we talk about? I was like, well, I'm already reading this stuff. So. <laughs> Let's just do that. Uh, yeah, very excited. Excellent. That sounds fun. I'm really excited to hear all about it. It's going to be such a good trip. Uh, my sister's actually going to France later this summer too, so I'm just very jealous of everyone 
international traveling, but that's fine. Whatever. All right. Uh, so my first pick uh, for nonfiction about France is one I read a few years ago now. Um, the Black Count, Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and the Real Count of Monte Cristo by Tom Rees. Uh, and this is about, um, so Alexander Dumas, who is the author of The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, he based some uh, parts of each of those novels on a real life person, uh, his father, General Alex Dumas, who was a mixed race military leader in revolutionary France. So uh, Alex was born to a black slave mother and a fugitive white fugitive white Frenchman in St. Domingo. And he, so he was born in the Caribbean. Um, when he left uh, the uh, the grandfather left the Caribbean. He took his mixed race son back to reclaim their family estate in France. Um, and so Alex was raised as the son of an aristocrat, but he made a name for himself because of his dashing good looks and his skill with a sword, uh, which that just sounds so fun to say. <laughs> um, so he uh, was, because it was around the time of the French Revolution, he rose to the ranks of the French military to eventually become a commander of more than 50,000 men. Um, and so his exploits and some of his his escapes and his swords fighting all became part of his son's novels. Um, uh, his, his expertise as a sword was part of the Three Musketeers. Uh, his eventual imprisonment and his uh, unwavering principles became the inspiration for Edmond Dantes and the Count of Monte Cristo. And so the Black Count is kind of this Alex's story, but also kind of a love story from his son uh, to his father through the exploration of those books and um, a little bit about racial equality in revolutionary France. So um, combines family stories, military records, letters, and documents to bring this story to life. Um, there's lots of context about the French Revolution and stuff that um, I thought for personally for me dragged a little bit, but uh, I was important to the story and so kind of interesting to read anyway. So uh, this is just a really fun one, like kind of a very particular focused little history of France and the French Revolution from a person who uh, was different and living there at the time. So uh, that is The Black Count, Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and The Real Count of Monte Cristo by Tom Rees. That's awesome. So I'm assuming you've read that in its entirety. Yeah, I read that one a while ago. Yeah, that sounds great. And I did not know there was a biography of him, so thank you. Mm -hmm. um, my first pick for France, as our theme is, is La Belle France, A Short History by Alistair Horne. I picked this up. So he wrote another book called The Seven Ages of Paris, and I started reading that, and I was like, this is too pretentious. And then I accidentally... <laughs> picked up this whole history of France and didn't realize it was by him. And I was already too invested in it when I realized <laughs> that it was by this guy who I'd already been like, no, um, to stop. So, and it's actually, it's very enthralling. He captures all of French history in like 400 pages, which is pretty impressive because, you know, it goes back to like, I don't know, basically 2000 years. Where am I? I'm trying to think like, I think I'm in the 1500s right now. So Henri II has the king has just been murdered, not murdered, killed in a joust by the lance going through his eye, Ugh. which, you know, is not great. If this sounds familiar, it's because he is the king in the CW show Reign, R-E-I-G-N, which also takes place in France. But back to La Belle France, a short history. So there's just a lot of really fun anecdotes. Like that's kind of how he break. He basically makes it like I'm telling you a bunch of stories about France. I'm reading another book about the history of Paris that is extremely like. And then the French cloth makers weren't, you know, keeping up with the latest 
system of cloth making. And so their revenues fell. And that's it's a lot harder. Um, so I definitely recommend this. It starts again with like Julius Caesar's Division of Gaul into three parts. And then it goes all the way up into the 21st century and in 400 pages. So then you feel like you've learned so much in such a brief commitment of reading. Um, again, that is La Belle France, A Short History by Alistair Horn. Excellent. That sounds really fun. So my second pick is one that I have had on my TBR pile forever and just never got around to reading until we started talking about doing this topic. And I was like, yes, here's my excuse. I'm going to read this one because I'm so interested in it. Uh, and it is called The Widow Clicquot, The Story of a Champagne Empire and the Woman Who Ruled It by Taylor J. Mazo. Um, and this is about a widow who runs a champagne empire in France. Um, so at 27 years old, this woman, Barbie Nicole Clicquot Pulsardi, I just said that way wrong, but it's French. It's fine. You're like pretty much fine, actually. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, she had to take over her husband's business because he passed away. Uh, and so she just defied convention at the time by assuming the reins of this wine business that they had kind of built together. Um, and so her story takes place in the wake of the French Revolution. So her um, talent for business helped, um, was kind of assisted by the growth of business in France at that time. Um, and she also, there were apparently a lot of widows running wine businesses at that point. I think they, she mentions in the book three or four other ones, I think. Um, and so Barbie Nicole decided she was going to do it herself. Uh, and she, um, it talks about how understanding that widows are the only women granted the social freedom to run their own affairs, which I thought was really kind of interesting. So um, as she's running this business, she has to sneak boats of product around war blockades. Um, she got champagne into Russia at a time when that was really hard and made it kind of a, a favorite drink of the imperial uh, family. And just kind of, so it's the whole story of her and her business and trying to, to do this. Um, and it's, it's one of those books, you know, like nonfiction where there's not a ton of information about the person who's at the center of the story. And so um, they have to kind of fill in the gaps around that by telling other people's stories or kind of sometimes speculating about what was happening or um, kind of building in other kinds of narratives. So in this case, they talk a lot about the actual production of wine and champagne in France and like how bubbly wine kind of actually started and how people didn't like it at the time and how that developed into actually being like a luxury item. And I found all of that super interesting, kind of those digressions away from her main story. But if you're a person who that bothers you, then this maybe is not going to be a good pick. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting about how this sh widow became a champagne empire. Um, and I actually, when I was looking around trying to figure out how to pronounce her last name, I found the Clico website and they actually have done a whole podcast of her entire life story. Like a kind of the brand has done that. Um, so if you are not interested in reading the book, but are curious about her story, you can listen to it as a podcast from the company, um, which I thought was kind of interesting and fun too. So uh, yeah, just like a really good women in business at a time when women didn't get to do anything fun, which is always a good read in my opinion. So that is The Widow Clicquot, The Story of a Champagne Empire and the Woman Who Ruled It by Taylor J. Mazo. You're like really bringing it with the fun biographies of uh, French people. So thanks, Kim. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. So my other pick is actually just, it's just like this cute, adorable book that I love very much. Um, I picked it up at the library. It's called The Little Pleasures of Paris by Leslie Jonath. Um, so what it is, is she breaks it up by season and it's illustrated awesomely by Lizzie Stewart. And she 
talks about just like little experiences that you can have in Paris. And even I think I would actually like to read this for different cities that I'm not going to because I think it gives you this like little sort of vignette peek into what daily life in the city is like or like what kind of things you can expect to find there. So one of the things I'm just like opening it here is um, you can get ice cream on Ile Saint-Louis. Like just just like just go and like wait in line and it's a pleasant like time there. You can have a picnic at La Place de Vosges and there's like this really cute illustration of like a little picnic basket with a baguette and the fountain. Anyway, it's just all these tiny little things that make up this experience in Paris. And uh, it's just a charming book. I've used charming a few times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I'm thinking about Paris. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Throwing that out there. Anyway, um, again, that is The Little Pleasures of Paris by Leslie Jonath. So I have, I have another Paris question for you. Mm-hmm. You get to be in Paris for part of the trip, right? Oh, yeah, for like a good part of it, yeah. Good. Do you have any like literary sites that you are planning to do while you're there? I really want to go to the famous cemetery, which, of course, I'm forgetting the name of now, and people are probably yelling it at their phone or wherever they're playing this. Um, This is embarrassing. Half my major was French literature, and I speak French. (laughs) Don't judge me. Um, But there there is an extremely famous cemetery that I didn't get to go to when I did my study abroad in France. And uh, a lot of sort of, so like Balzac, I think, is buried there. And like, I think Victor Hugo, maybe he's at the Pantheon. I don't want to go to the Pantheon because they don't have either any or enough women buried there. And uh, it makes me mad. But anyway, but I will go to some literary things and I'll report back. Is it the Père Lachaise Cemetery? Oh, Père Lachaise. Yes, thank you. There we go. Thank you. I took French and like my French in this episode is just garbage, but I guess it's been since like high school that I actually did any of it. <laughs> you get a pass. We're Americans. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> no one expects anything of us, our e-language. That's, that's true. That's true. Low expectations. Awesome. Well, so yeah, that is some nonfiction about France, which is a good, fun topic. Yeah, I went more with history than I expected. I I don't know. That's just what I had in my brain. So there we go. Uh, So we will close out this week's podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading right at this very moment. Um, So right now, the book I actually want to talk about is an audiobook. Um, I've been on an audiobook kick for the last month or so, um, which is fun because for a while I was on a podcast kick and that's all I was listening to. And now I have no interest in podcasts at all. And I just want to listen to audiobooks. And the one that I have just I guess I'm actually pretty far into it now is Becoming by Michelle Obama. Um, And it is her blockbuster memoir that came out last year and at at this point I think is like the best selling memoir of all time sold like I want to say it's like 10 million copies or something but I could have made that number up but it's a it's a lot it is a huge memoir uh, everywhere and so I've been listening to this one for a while it's pretty long and I guess I thought it started a little slow um she talks about her childhood growing up in south side of chicago which i feel like i've heard that part of her story before like it's a lot of what she shared on the campaign trail and stuff like that so i felt a little more familiar with it um but it was important i see like deeper into the book it was important stage setting for a lot of the arguments she's trying to make later about um her position and the things that she learned and her kind of connection she was able to build to voters across the country. Um, But once the book gets to kind of her post-college life, her first law firm job, and when she meets Barack Obama for the first time and they start dating and then get married and have kids and politicians and uh, political campaigns and onto the presidency, it is just 
fascinating. She is so cool and so like just has such a good grasp of who she is and what the White House experience was to her and talks a lot about being a working mom and her identity and the ways that she kind of struggled with it while she was in the White House and trying to sort of be the first lady, but also herself and not lose that uh, in kind of the bubble of the White House. It's just, it's so good and it's so interesting. And I, listening to an audiobook is 100% the way to do it because she's reading it herself and she just there's parts where she just kind of gets choked up talking about some of her emotional experiences and it's just, it's a great listen. So uh, if you haven't read it yet, which I know like a million people, most people have, I feel like uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama is great on audiobook. Yeah. I have so many friends who have either bought it or read it and um, I don't usually read like contemporary memoirs, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. this sounds like an important one just based on its sheer popularity. I usually cave to peer pressure at some point when a book gets popular enough. Um, But yeah, that sounds great. My current read is another book about France, which is Mad Enchantment, Claude Monet and the Painting of the Water Lilies by Ross King. So we are going to Giverny, where the water lilies are. Um, This book, at least as far as I've gotten, it talks about kind of how Monet went out to Giverny and like bought this house and established the the water lily uh pond, I guess is what it is. So essentially at the, um, I think it was the Exposition Universelle, um, they had these water lilies that had been bred to survive French climates. And Monet went and he said, great, I want those. And so they got them. He ordered them in like a bunch of colors and then they came and then he got more and he was really annoyed by the inhabitants of Giverny driving on the dirt road next to the pond because he got dust all over his water lilies. So he had the road paved. (laughs) because of that there's a lot of like interesting facts i'm not a big fan of impressionism and i don't really care about old men usually but i'm sufficiently interested in learning the history of this place i am going that and this book i saw it like everywhere a couple years ago so um it seems to be a, a pretty good read so again that is mad enchantment claude monet and the painting of the water lilies by ross king and with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, that helps people find it more easily. And while you are there, you can subscribe so that you will get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I'm Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. 